It's Jazz88. I'm connecting with Billy Childs. He's going to be in town next Wednesday for a show over at the Dakota. Mr. Childs, thank you so much for chatting with Jazz88. Oh, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Now, we've been playing a track off of this new record of yours, The Winds of Change. The one we have been drawn to is The Great Western Loop. We love that one, and we love the title track. And it seems like there's sort of a compositional relation between a lot of these songs. They seem to come kind of from the same place. What were you trying to set out to do compositionally across this album, The Winds of Change? Well, first of all, um, I wanted it centered around these incredible players. One of my Desert Island albums is New High by Kenny Wheeler. And I love the interplay and the sound and the melodies and compositions of that album. It's Jack DeJanette, Keith Jarrett, Dave Holland, and Kenny Wheeler. So I, I kind of use that as kind of like, this is what I want to, as a starting off point. And so the compositions, they have layers and they have specific things that you have to do. But what these players are incredibly like geniuses at is finding places in a composition to follow through with the intent of the composition and make it more than what it started out as. So I wanted to write things that would kind of like emphasize that. So a lot of the stuff, even while there's a lot of counterpoint, a lot of uh, melodic structure and harmonic things, there's enough space where Brian can shade and color it and Scott can add these um, these these notes that open possibilities to other harmonic environments and Ambrose can play the melody like it's a human voice. So it's kind of a very abstract, you know, uh, intent, but, but that's kind of where I was coming from. Well, it sounds like the group really met the challenge. And I imagine there's a little more freedom when you're writing for a group of players of that size and of that caliber are you doing something different when you're writing for larger groups or with individuals who aren't maybe as familiar with the jazz idiom, but you're, you're writing for them in that setting? Basically, how is it different when you're writing for a quartet than if you're writing for a larger group with uh, players with different levels of intimacy with jazz? In those instances, for instance, like my jazz chamber ensemble, which has a string quartet, it has a harpist. In that sense, I kind of make it the responsibility of the composition to make things connect. Mm. So if I'm using a, a string quartet, I'm gonna write music that is traditionally what string quartet players would see, you know, the string quartet players who have a lineage uh, of Beethoven string quartets and Bartok and, and Ravel and, and things like that. I'm gonna write something that would be similar to that, that they'd be familiar with and make the composition make it have relevance with what the drum set is doing, what the, the saxophone is doing. You know, when you just start out and it's four people like Brian, Blade, Scott, Colley, and Ambrose, Ock, and Misery, and then also the people that are going to be playing with me at the Dakota, uh, Hans Glavishnig, uh, Christian Newman, and uh, Sean Jones. You know, when you have players of this caliber who are already familiar with the jazz language, then you don't have to do a lot of explaining. You don't have to do a lot of pre-planning. You just can come in with a skeleton of something, and then they turn it into magic. Well, you definitely turned a lot of stuff into magic on that release, The Winds of Change. I'm chatting with Billy Childs. He's coming through town next Wednesday for a show over at the Dakota. Now, Billy, you probably do a lot of traveling with different groups uh, for different engagements. When you're heading in for a show like the one you got coming up at the Dakota, what are you worrying the most about while you're on the plane? Like, is it... 
Is it the is the piano going to be right? Is the band going to get along? Does, does stuff need to arrive? I mean, traveling has a bunch of headaches. What sort of gets you stressed out before showtime? Well, the bands gets along, you know, and that's a worry that if you're worried about that, you worried about that long before you hit the <laughs> Dakota. Uh, I don't worry much about anything. You know, if I worry, then the source of the worry has taken place long before I get to the club, gotcha. you know. Usually if there is a worry, then it's if I've written fairly complex music and we didn't get enough rehearsal time or something like that. Gotcha. You know, I don't really, I don't really worry about the instruments that much, although I do like to play on a good piano, but I've played enough gigs with Freddie Hubbard in the past to where I mean one time I walked into a club and and it was a white piano and there was Fender Rhodes sitting on top of the white piano. Uh, which meant that if it's sitting flush on top of the white piano, there's no sustain for the Fender Rhodes. Uh, so I had to play it not only standing up, but with no sustain pedal. So if I can do that, then I can play it like on a piano that's slightly less. <laughs> well, I think you'll be in pretty good shape at the Dakota, but I love hearing those stories about, you know, especially as a pianist, it's like you can't travel with a piano and you walk in and you go, okay, this is what I'm making music yeah. with tonight. Yeah, you're totally at the mercy of whatever. I won't play a gig if it's a keyboard that's set up or something and I didn't expect it. Got you. I expected a piano and I see, you know, some sort of uh, keyboard that's not even weighted and, you know, that's it. (laughs) Not happening. I played a gig years ago at a college and we were opening for Ben Folds, a sort of rock piano player. And the, he had like a temperature requirement on the stage because it was an outdoor stage, which made perfect sense to me. Like, hey, if it's going to be under like 50 degrees out there, I can't really do what I'm supposed to do on a piano at that temperature. Right. So I'm chatting with Billy Childs. He's getting ready for a show at the Dakota next Wednesday. Now, Billy, you're a player and a composer who's worked in the world of jazz and classical music. What in your study and performance of jazz has helped you most when you're working in classical settings? What was the most instructive of what you've learned from jazz when you've stepped into a classical place? They, they both help each other, but I mean, with jazz, I guess the harmonic language mm-hmm. and the, the, the idea of rhythm, you know, a lot of times when I'm writing a piece for like, say a string quartet or something, or an orchestral piece even, or any chamber piece, whatever, I just automatically hear drum sets. I, I hear what the drums might be doing behind it. I guess that's a concern with how it's grooving, how the feel of the, the rhythmic feel of the classical piece is going. So I think playing with uh, jazz groups has helped me, you know, compositionally, because I have a, a very strong sense of rhythm with what I'm writing classically, you know. It's funny, time. The way I look at it is external with jazz musicians a lot of times, and whereas it's internal, I think, a lot with classical musicians. And by that, I mean that you count off the tune in a jazz situation, and then that's where the time is. The time mm-hmm. is no longer, it's not what you think it is, it's what it was counted, what the clock says, you know, which is something outside of yourself, and everyone has to adhere to that. Whereas in in classical music, a lot of times in chamber music, the time is what everyone agrees on. You know, if if the second violin is slowing down a phrase, uh, then everyone's just going to go with that person Mm. or speeding up. It ebbs and flows together and it's an agreement. 
So it's not absolute a lot of times. A lot of times it is. So what I do a lot is when I'm writing classical music, I, I want an absolute interpretation of the time. So that's one of the things. Classical music at its best, when it's are concerned with writing the structure that follows kind of a logical continuum that goes from one place to another effortlessly as though it's it should have gone there. And then when you play, you get so tuned into the details when you're performing it that you you want it because you want it to sound natural. To me, that's the attempt to make the music sound improvised almost. Mm. Whereas in jazz, at the highest level, like the someone like Keith Jarrett or Herbie Hancock or you know Wayne Shorter, when they play, it sounds like a composition. It sounds like it's through composed somehow. So the two are kind of striving for the same thing, but coming at it from different angles, I think. Have you ever heard of a gentleman named William Eddins, who's a conductor? Yeah, oh, okay. Eddins. Yeah. He's now based uh, here in the Twin Cities. In fact, in addition to his music work, he's also running a brewery. But I got to interview him a week before he was conducting the Minnesota Orchestra alongside the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra, like at the same time, one conductor for both groups. Basically, our whole conversation was about time and how the tempo can be right, but the time can be wrong, and the the, the space between. And talked about all this, all this sort of translating between these different uh, musical schools. And I, I thought you might be aware of his work, but it was it was really illuminating to me to hear yeah. somebody who straddles those worlds. So. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a great conductor. I hope I get to work with him at some point. Actually, also, I wrote a saxophone concerto for this incredible saxophonist named Stephen Banks. And I think the Minnesota Orchestra is going to be playing it like next year. Oh, cool. uh, the conductor will be this uh, fantastic conductor, Ruth Reinhardt. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know the date, the exact date, but that will, it's part of a 10 orchestra consortium. Gotcha. Uh, so, yeah. What I do know the exact date of is May 10th, next Wednesday. Billy Child's going to be in town playing at the Dakota with Sean Jones supporting on trumpet. Will you run down the rest of the uh, rhythm section for that gig before we say goodbye for the day? Yeah, and by the way, it's my first time playing at the Dakota, uh, so I'll be really looking forward to that. It'll be Sean Jones on trumpet, Hans Glavishnig on bass, and Christian Eumann on drums. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, we're looking forward to it, Billy Childs. Thank you for the great music. We've been loving the Great Western Loop. Hope you have a fantastic rest of your day, and we'll catch you next Wednesday at the Dakota. Thank you.